Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. First responders were our heroes last year. Now you want to fire them. This caravan that we're seeing of thousands of people. We have caught people that came from Yemen. Why are they coming to America? Who are they working with? And what do they have planned? Mice addicted to cocaine. We're having beagles eaten alive from the neck up. We are frightening monkeys. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. Tom, Benny, Clark, and you, and a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking with uh, Representative Keith Kidwell about a number of issues happening in uh, Raleigh. But we're also going to be talking to him about an article that showed up in the New Bern Sun Journal uh, talking about the fact that at one point, some 10 years ago, uh, he was on a list of someone who had uh, contacted Oath Keepers. We're going to ask him about that. Uh, they're trying to make a big deal about that now as if he's in some right-wing nut job group. So we'll get uh, Keith on the phone, talk to him about that, and many other things going on in Raleigh. Did you see any of the uh, uh, part two of Merritt Garland's hearing today? <laughs> Man, did he get fried. Oh, Senator Tom Cotton, he laid I've into I've got him. some audio of that, and uh, it's it's worth listening to. It's a little longer than what we normally play, but it is, uh, he he roasted Merrick Garland. And, you know, I, I'm li- listening to Merrick Garland now. The only reason I can possibly think of that the Democrats would want to have put him up to be a Supreme Court justice is because he would have been another Joe Biden that would have been totally pliable, that would have done whatever they have said. This guy's got zero backbone. None. You know, in typical typical fashion, the Democrats, whether it's you know state Supreme Courts or the or the federal bench, uh, United States Supreme Courts, they constantly elect people that are not advocates for the law and the Constitution, but they're they're really advocates for they carry the water for the Dems. The, exactly. Um, and I just, you know, the, the fact that someone who was considered um, for the Supreme Court immediately, the first chance he had to get a political appointment, he got it. Yeah. That, that tells you a lot yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, quite entertaining. Now, uh, he got roasted by multiple Republicans, but uh, the uh, blue ribbon goes to Tom Cotton. He tore into Merrick Garland during the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing today. Uh, chastising him for his memo to the Justice Department. Now, he asked him about a few other things, but the the central focus was uh, between uh, Tom Cotton, Merrick Garland, on this memo that went out and originated from the National School Board Association. It went to the Biden administration. They sent it over to the Justice Department. Merrick Garland sent his memo out to the FBI and uh, did reference— parents as domestic terrorists. He tried his best to backtrack that and to say, well, no, that's not what I meant. But uh, Tom Cotton didn't have it. Cut one. Keep citing the school board letter and news reports. News right. re- one of the news right. reports cited in that letter, which you presumably mean, is from Loudoun County, Virginia. No, that's Scott- not. That is not um, uh, what I was talking about. Well, talking it, about- you keep citing news reports, and no. that's the most prominent news report that anyone in America has seen. That refers to Scott Smith whose 15-year-old daughter was raped. She was raped 
in a bathroom by a boy wearing girls' clothes, and the Loudoun County School Board covered it up because it would have interfered with their transgendered policy during Pride Month. And that man, Scott Smith, because he went to a school board and tried to defend his daughter's rights, was condemned internationally. Do you apologize to Scott Smith and his 15-year-old daughter, Judge? Senator, anyone whose uh, child was raped as, uh, is a, the most horrific crime I can imagine and is certainly entitled and protected by the First Amendment to protest to their school board about that. But he was that cited is, by the school board association that's fine, as a domestic that's not, terrorist, which we now know that letter and those reports were the basis for your... No, th this no is, Senator, this is that's wrong. Shameful. Judge, that's, this is shameful. This, here, this testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. Okay, that's not. Th thank God you are not on the Supreme Court. You that, should resign in disgrace, Judge. Amen to that. <laughs> he's not afraid. Boy, Merrick Garland's. I mean, he sounds like your ninety-year-old grandmother. I mean, mm. he just is weak and feeble. But for him to come out and try to disconnect the memo from Scott Smith just does not pass the smell test. I mean, it doesn't even come close. There, there are so many uh, connect the dots between the Scott Smith case, what happened in Loudoun County, the National School Board writing to the Biden administration. Uh, it, it's just a straight conduit. And for him to get up there, oh, I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it at all. Well, he, he's in charge of the Justice Department. Yeah. So whether you didn't have anything to do with it or not, you're responsible for it. You know, and, and, he, and he's and not he, taking responsibility. He, play, he plays the typical uh, Clinton-esque type of thing. You know, did anybody get in contact with you, meaning the Justice Department? Well, not me. Not me personally. I don't know anything about that. Um, interestingly, Tom Cotton also brought up, okay, uh, have you have you looked into uh, what was happening with uh, Kristen Sinema and he, as she was being harassed? You know, and they got into the whole thing of, uh, you know, he said, well, I, I'm just saying that, you know, we can't have violence at the school board meetings. And, and Tom Cotton pointed out very quickly, he said, well, no, no, look at your memo. You use the words intimidation, mm -hmm. not violence. You use the word intimidation. And then he tries to say, well, that's, uh, that's another word for violence. It's, it's just beyond the pale. And he just, wow, what a skunk. I, I, I had the... Um I had the testimony just listening to it in the background while I was working there, and I did catch a few things. And one thing I got a little tired of hearing is Merrick Garland constantly saying, you know, what is it? We got a longstanding tradition at the Justice Department where we don't comment yes. on ongoing investigation. <laughs> that is horse crap. Uh, you comment on things you want to comment on, and you con you don't comment on things that, you know, have has mud on your face, like this case here. I well, he was also asked by— um, by Cotton, have you pursued uh, uh, going after the rioters from last year's riots that took place? And his answer to that was, well, that was a different administration. Well, you're still in charge of the current administration, and there's some people outstanding that need to be pulled in and, and tried. Here's a, here's a good question. Somebody threw this out to me today. Um, listen to what Maxine Waters said a little over a year ago during the campaign are we going is is Merrick Garland going to go after Maxine because this is what she said concerning cabinet members and members of the White House staff of Donald Trump uh, you have members of your cabinet uh, 
that have been booed out of restaurants, who have protesters taking up at their house, who sang no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. And guess what? We're gonna win this battle. And so let's stay the course. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. I think that would qualify as intimidation. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm going out on a limb there and say, I think that qualifies as intimidation. I, you know, I wish uh, Senator Cotton or someone else, of course, they, they might have they might have phrased it like this, but I wish someone would phrase a question to Merrick Garland like this. Okay, you cannot comment on a specific case, but let, let's talk hypotheticals here. Which do you consider more closely aligned to domestic terrorism? Parents um, attending a school board meeting asking questions or attacking a federal judicial building in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, and trying to burn it down. And trying to burn it down. Yeah. Which, which is the domestic terrorist here? Because you didn't, you, you know, no one wrote a, a memo. Yeah, it was a different administration, but it was, I mean, comment on it. What, what yeah. would you do? Just hypothetical, what would you do? Would you, would you send a letter regarding domestic terrorism, regarding people, you know, during the Black Lives Matter protest and the Summer of Love, as they called it, in Portland? Interestingly, speaking of Loudoun County, one of the members of the school district up there in Loudoun County who represents uh, one of the districts, a guy named John Beatty, has accused Scott Ziegler, the superintendent, of withholding information for, quote, political gain when it came to an alleged sexual assault against a female student in the girls' restroom on May the 28th. He said, and I quote, my heart breaks every time I hear about the assaults in our school. I could never imagine my daughter coming home from school and telling me something like this happened. But fact, the fact remains, you don't go to the press during an ongoing investigation, especially when it's dealing with a student's privacy. No matter the incident, I trust the superintendent and his staff perform their jobs to protect our students. Even so... He accused Ziegler, Scott Ziegler, the superintendent, of withholding information in order to protect the controversial pro-transgender policy 8040. Quote, I believe no updates were given because the superintendent was working to aggressively pass a policy that would have allowed unrestricted access of biological males to female ba- uh, restrooms. He didn't provide information because if that came out, there was a, if it came out that there was an assault in the bathroom, the transgender policy wouldn't have passed. And uh, can one to say, you know, I think he wanted this to uh, coincide with uh, passing and passing during Pride Month. And uh, he is he's gone all after them. And he is he's as a member of the board saying this guy Ziegler needs to resign. Now, many of the parents up there say Ziegler and the entire board need to resign. But uh, some good news. And this guy, uh, John Beatty, has just said, you know what, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I didn't realize certain things were going on, and I'm standing with the parents and the students. Um, it is, I, I would have to say, though, I'm a little suspicious that it's only after the parents have thrown down the gauntlet, the students have walked out in protest, and and suddenly this guy has a this revelation. It has this road to Damascus revelation 
and uh, is, you know, changing everything that he stands for. I hope I hope someone is on the ballot for every board member in Loudoun County. (laughs) You know what? There's going to be a lot of people running for school boards, I promise you. Now, what's interesting is down in Orange County, Florida, yesterday there was a school board meeting. And at this school board meeting, a number of parents showed up. And the original thrust of the meeting was going to be because in Orange County, they're one of a handful of counties out of uh, Florida's 67 county boards that have flouted, uh, flouted the governor's order uh, on masks, that they don't have to have masks. And they, Orange County, ah, we're going to go against DeSantis. We're going to have the masks anyway. But as the meeting got underway, a journalist who works for the Gateway Pundit showed up, and he had some parents come to him and uh, we're complaining about the fact that the book Gender Queer, a memoir by Mia Kobabe, um, it, it's a, a graphic, and we've talked about this book before, graphic pornographic book. He gets up, you know, they have the, the give and take time where the uh, people can come up to the microphone and, and express their thoughts. He comes up to the microphone and just says, this book is from the library of one of your schools in the Orange County Schools, Boone High School in Orlando, and uh, starts reading from the book. And this is what happens. Cut two. Concerning a passage from Gender Queer. Fast forward, we've been dating for two months. We've made out, we've had sex, we've moved on to sexting at work. I got a new strap-on harness today. I can't wait to put it on you. It will fit my favorite dildo perfectly. You are going to look so hot. I can't wait to Sir, have your... Mr. Engels, yes. I, I appreciate the... Um, no way. I'd like to continue reading this. No, we're not going to have to say it. I'm sorry. I want to have your voice in my mouth. Remove them from the chambers. Why? Our kids are reading this. Our kids are reading this. Quiet, I will answer your questions. I understand you allow this that book is in the classroom and the language that he just read is inappropriate for this forum. I have the floor. I'm respectful for you, to you when you speak. If you're respectful to me, it will take another recess. I understand the contradiction here. This is the first time I've heard of this and the board has heard of this. We will look into the matter, and I do hope that that book is removed. Okay? And if not, we'll be back here having this conversation again. That's right. But I can guarantee you, I did not know that book was in the library, and I doubt anybody that's the problem is we do don't want to be removed from the room. I don't. I just not speak out in the meetings. I, I just commended you guys. I understand this is emotional, but we're going to follow the rules or we're going to take breaks and you're going to lose precious time. Let's take our next call. I, I don't buy it. That that was Orange County Public School Board Chair Teresa Jacobs. Uh, first of all, I had no idea. This book was in our libraries. If you are on a school board anywhere in the United States and you are not going to the libraries of the schools that you're overseeing and making sure that this kind of filth isn't in the libraries, you need to be removed because it's all over every headline. And for her to get up and say, I had no idea. And the one mom who said, that's the problem, and immediately hits down the gavel. So bottom line is, this guy tries to get up in a room full of adults, no minors in the room, all adults, 
reading from a book that is available to the kids. In fact, this story goes on to say that during Pride Month, they had this book up on a pedestal when you walk into the library. A featured book. And look, this book contains graphic illustrations of male copulation. Of I, I, I'm not even going to go into more detail than that, but any of the vile garbage that you could imagine is illustrated. Now, it's not photographs, but they're illustrations and, and graphic descriptions of sex between young men. It you, is unbelievable. And and I, in the audio, I could hear in the background someone make the point, and I you know I, I had this first thought was, you you can arrest someone at a public hearing for for reading from this book, but it's okay to be in in our exactly. in our library exactly and, and be available to our kids. And this this Teresa Jacobs had the police drag this guy off, remove him from the meeting. So it's is it vulgar? Is it pornography? Or is it not? You, apparently, she thinks it is for the media, yeah. but it's okay for the school. Is it that, or she doesn't want it revealed what is in our public libraries? Is it uh, if she's, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm offended. You can't use those, those kind of words in, in this public meeting. Or is it, I want to hide this so it doesn't come out? Well, she's probably most embarrassed that she didn't have a freaking clue that it was in the library. I'd, I have, I, but again, <laughs> I have a hard time believing that she didn't know. This has been all over the front page. Yeah, that's right. Of every website, at least conservative websites. Now, your your liberal publications are probably oh, oh that that doesn't happen. CRT's not real. Oh, pornography in our public libraries and our children's libraries—that's not real. Where is Orange County? In and right outside of Orlando. Okay. Of course. Five six one eight two five five. William has been holding on patiently. Hey, William. Hey, Tom. How you doing, guys? Doing hey, well. William. Good to hear from you. I just wanted to give a big shout out to Scott Smith, the parent of the daughter that was raped, his fourteen year old daughter at that school. Yeah. Because I can, I can tell you this, as a guy that's got a daughter and a son, if that had been my daughter, I, they might would have had not only FBI, but the 82nd Airborne and a couple of Navy SEAL teams might would have had to call in. Well, I got news for you. If you had the, the Navy SEALs and the guys from the Airborne, um, they would have been on your side. They would have been on my side. It, no. it is unbelievable. You don't have to be smart and you don't have to be religious to see what's going on in this country. And I cannot believe it's unbelievable. I, I told my wife the other night, I said, if my kids were growing up now, I may have to eat Vienna sausage, but they would be in a charter, private, or they would not be in a public school. I can promise yeah. you that. Well, they, you know, the other point that you remind me of is parents don't assume, since you live in rural eastern North Carolina, that this couldn't possibly happen at your school. If your kids are in, in public schools, and uh, kudos to the teachers that look at the public school as their mission field and that and, and they're doing a good job. But it is an uphill battle when you have this kind of garbage that is being snuck in the back door. But parents, you need to do your homework. If your kids in public school, you need to go check it out. Don't just assume just because you got a good teacher, your, your kids have a good teacher. Don't just assume that this kind of garbage is not uh, available. And there's a lot of good teachers that have no idea that yeah. this is going on. Yeah. But uh, yeah. at, 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 right. and, and you're right. Scott Smith, hold your God head high. It. Hold your head yes. high. That is a yes. red badge of courage. Wear exactly. that well. Yeah. Wear that well. 
Great, Amen. great Amen. point, William. Thank you for the call. Five six one eight two five five. We got to take a time out though. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Drive at five and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk ninety six point three and one zero three seven. Welcome back in. Taking a look at your weather forecast. Mostly clear tonight. Low around fifty. Tomorrow a chance of showers late in the day. Otherwise uh, partly cloudy with high near seventy. Then tomorrow night the rain comes in. Ninety percent chance of rain on Thursday night. And uh, which is going to be interesting for the uh, ECU football game. It's going to be played in the rain. I don't know if that helps ECU or hurts ECU. Well, I've, I've seen some varying reports of that, that it might race out of here before the game. Oh, so okay. I, but well, I don't, but, you know, who knows? Well, our uh, meteorologist, Clark Willis, what he handed me, <laughs> says 90% tomorrow night. Rainfall amounts between a half inch and three quarters of an inch possible. And then, according to this weather forecast, the showers will dissipate early, early Friday morning. Well, other than a slippery football, East Carolina has a very well-drained field. Um, I've seen, I think I was at a game one time, it was rained about eight or nine inches that day before, and it, it was not in bad shape at all. The New Bern Sun Journal reported over the weekend, headline, North Carolina Representative Keith Kidwell is being questioned about his involvement in an anti-government extremist group called Oath Keepers after a leaked membership roster became public that shows he was a member in 2012. Well, first of all, anything that you've ever heard about Oath Keepers, and I've got to confess, uh, we're just trying to look up to find something out about Oath Keepers, but anything that you've heard about Oath Keepers has come from left-wing mainstream media uh, journalist, mm-hmm. and they they tried to tie Oath Keepers to what happened on January the 6th, so therefore anybody that ever had anything to do with Oath Keepers and the history of Oath Keepers is, is now, you know, basically um, a, a villain in the eyes of the public. But um, Keith and I were talking earlier today, uh, and I wanted to get him on so that uh, he could give an explanation Keith Kidwell represents uh, Beaufort and Craven Counties in North Carolina's 79th District. Keith, welcome back in. Always good to have you with us. Hey, Tom. How you doing? Good to talk with you. Good to talk with you. I, um, I, you know, I, Benny and I were talking before uh, during one of the breaks. This just seems like yellow journalism. I mean, first of all, I, I, I don't know a whole lot about Oath Keepers, but the New Bern Sun Journal and I'm not defending Oath Keepers, I just don't know that much about it, but immediately, and I doubt if the people and the editors down at the New Bern Sun Journal know that much about it, except for what other people have said coming from the left-wing media, but it just seemed like yellow journalism, especially since any involvement that you had was almost 10 years ago. Yeah, so my my extensive involvement with with Oath Keepers is I had read about them on the Internet, uh, I guess it was 2012, to be honest with you, if you'd asked me when it was, I wouldn't have known. Uh, I, I'm kind of surprised it was that long ago, but uh, time I'm, flies. I'm pretty confident it was during the Obama administration, uh, and you know there was a lot of people at that time, uh, and as is today, uh, who took oaths to the Constitution and had not stood by those oaths. And oath keepers' uh, mission at that time. Now, to be honest with you, I read about it. I sent him a check for whatever it was, 10 or 15 or $25. I don't even know what it was. Uh, might have signed up online. Don't really know. 
and uh, joined the organization at one time. I never got a renewal notice, never asked for renewal notice, never read a newsletter from them, never attended a meeting, uh, and haven't done anything further with them. With that said, I, you know, not because I dislike them, it's just I hadn't done anything further with them. Let me, let me just read from the Oath Keepers website what their mission statement says. This is, this, is, this is the organization that the Newburn Sun Journal says is an anti-government extremist group. Here's this extremist group's mission statement. Oath Keepers is a nonpartisan association of current and formerly serving military police and first responders who pledge to fulfill the oath all military and police take to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That oath mandated by Article 6 of the Constitution itself is to the Constitution, not to the politicians, and Oath Keepers declares that they will not obey unconstitutional orders, such as orders to disarm the American people, to conduct warrantless searches, or to detain Americans as enemy combatants in violation of their ancient right to a jury trial. Uh, that doesn't exactly. It, it sounds like if you were against that mission, <laughs> you would be anti-government. Well, uh, I'll be honest with you, Tom. If you read that, and and I, I think that's pretty similar to what it said back when I did join it. Uh, I I would think that most of the founding fathers would be terrorists by the standard the Sun Journal uses, yeah. or ProPublica, or or whoever else it is that's out there attacking me. Uh, you know, because they. Uh, wrote these words that, that we use to defend the Constitution uh, and what is the Constitution. You know, also, I, I might point out, you're, you're guilty by association because, uh, and I don't even know what Oath Keepers' affiliation is with the January 6th movement that I, I honestly, I don't know if there was Oath Keeper members up there or not. I assume there may have been. Uh, but I'm going to go out on a limb here, Tom, and I'm going to say there was probably... Uh, members of the NRA, Grassroots North Carolina, Gun Rights of America. Uh, there was probably licensed fishermen. I'm going to guess there was Knights of Columbus and Roraton and, and Elks members and Lions Clubs and Moose Lodge. Does that make all them terrorists as well? Yeah. Well, there's probably some FBI because, agents in there too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there was FBI, police, uh, you know, fire department people. Are all of them terrorists that are associated with any of those organizations because some member of that organization went up on January 6th. Yeah, great point. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me, okay? Uh, and, and I can tell you my response, I was contacted initially by, I think it was Raw. I don't even know who they are. Uh, you may know better than I do being in media. I had never heard of them before and, and honestly haven't read or seen anything about them since. Uh, but they're uh, Raw and ProPublica and uh, I think WRAL and the Charlotte Observer. I got different email contacts and phone messages would I speak to this Oath Keepers thing? Well, I spoke to three different organizations, and then I just said, you know what, not even going to waste my time. Here's what I told each one of them. The information, and the first guy who called me told me this, this was from Raw, the information was gotten that I had been a member in 2012 of Oath Keepers, uh, was gotten through an illegal hack. It was robbed. Right. It was stolen from Oath Keepers' computer. Now, I am not going to sit here and allow you to sell newspapers or, or make money off your commercial advertising by using stolen stolen information, okay? And I, I understand the Supreme Court has ruled that ill-gotten information in these cases with the media can still be used. I don't care what the Supreme Court says in regard to that. Ill-gotten information, that's like saying, hey, I didn't steal the car, but I know the guy that stole it. 
but I'm still going to drive it and use it to go back and forth to work. No, that's not the way things should be done. And this is what I think encourages hackers to do more hacking because they see that the, their efforts are, oh, look, we're getting rewarded for this. Yeah. And then the media is using it to reward themselves. doesn't right. make sense. I told them exactly this. You using the information in my mind makes you just as guilty as the person who stole the information. There you go. Oh, okay. I agree. There you go. So, all right, let's go into some other stuff. Uh, thank you for that explanation. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised um, that uh, <laughs> a a publication that uh, doesn't exactly speak glowingly of conservatives would uh, come after you like this. Um, well, Sun Journal has been contacted by me many a time, Tom, where where I was trying to give them information on bills that I was doing, arraigning the governor's overreach, or suing the governor, or or trying to get. Uh, uh, different bills passed for taxes. I've sent them press release after press release, and interestingly enough, this is the first thing they've ever published about me. <laughs> well, I lived in Newburn 30 years ago, and we used to call it the Scum Journal, so I guess it's appropriate. Uh, well, let, let, let's talk about... Uh, anyway. I'll leave that where it landed. All right, yeah, there you go. Uh, let's, let's talk about what's uh, happening up in Raleigh right now. Um, you know, you, you listed for me some bullet points earlier, and I want to try to cover each of these. And I, I'm not sure which order I want to take them in, but let me ask you um, first of all, and, and you did not bring this up, but the Carolina Journal covered this uh, in a, uh, a piece today. Then they they talked about how Tim Moore um, adjourned yesterday's session, but promised uh, a busy week ahead, including a not too far down the road vote on redistricting. But the Carolina Journal mentions that House Bill 259, the Election Integrity Act, of which you were one of the sponsors was um, pulled and it wasn't voted on. And uh, apparently there were some amendments that uh, you and Kyle Hall and George Cleveland wanted to make. Um, what, what's that all about? Can you give us any more detail on that? Yeah, so that bill, the very first part of that, Section 1, is, is my bill. And they've, they've appended some other uh, bills to it to try and consolidate the, the efforts. And I, I know on my part of it, Tom, there was some question in uh, one of the, I think it was the elections committee meeting, uh, the Democrats raised the question of, and, and what the bill does, is it says all North Carolina voting equipment must be manufactured in North Carolina, or, or not in North, in the United States, right. by United States owned businesses. So people that have business within the United States. So I don't want our equipment coming from China, Russia, uh, you know, the Ukraine or, or any place else. I want our software to be U.S. software so that we have control of our elections. And this is to protect our elections from any foreign interference through electronics. Because you and I know that it can be done uh, and very likely in, in some states. I don't know if it's done in North Carolina, but I'm sure in some states we did have issue with that. So that's what my piece of the bill seeks to do. And it says all voting equipment that's going to be used in North Carolina, uh, new purchases, must be United States. And it takes effect when this bill becomes law. So in my mind, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm just you know, trying to think too simply, it says when this becomes law. So if it becomes uh, January 1st of 2022, any machines bought out in January 2022 would have to come to law. The Democrats didn't seem to understand that. Well, it doesn't say that we can't fix old machines or that we can't buy machines prior to the date. Yet that, it says any equipment purchased after this date. So oh. what I've done is I've prepared an amendment that Tightens it up. says, yeah, says any old machines can still be fixed. They're not 
with new equipment. So okay. that that's my piece of the amendment. So I, I ask you, Speaker, let's send it back so we can have this clarified. I want to make this as simple to understand as I can for them. Uh, because the language I used was evidently too difficult. I don't know. Hey, Keith, we got to take a time out. Can you stay with us? Sure. We'll have some more questions. Okay, hang on, hang on with us because uh, Keith Kidwell is going to join us again right after the break and uh, talk about budget, redistricting, and uh, are Republicans interested in Medicaid expansion? Hmm. Stay with us. We'll be right back. There's a lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide nightmare. We'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the what's, and the where's. Neighborhood by neighborhood. Literally knocking on doors. This is your worst nightmare. The nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Worst nightmare. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Explain to us. Because this. This. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. We're talking with Representative Keith Kidwell, who represents Beaufort and Craven Counties. North Carolina's 79th district. Keith, let's talk about uh, budget. And, uh, you know, it's been in the news for weeks now. And Almost yet, a year. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when was the last time uh, we've actually had this governor sign off on a budget since the Republicans have been in charge of the legislature? Has he ever? Uh, no, this governor has not signed a budget. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to sign this one right now. The negotiations are uh, between the leadership in the House, the Senate, and the governor's office to see if we can come to an agreement uh, to get him to sign a budget uh, before it goes out totally public to the media uh, so that they don't sit there and put a bad spin on the things that we're trying to do. Here's what I can tell you. I know there's there's some very decent raises for teachers. Uh, there's decent raises for, for state employees. Uh, there's things like a new Brody School of Medicine like we had in the last session. Uh, there's a lot of great things in this budget that are going to help eastern North Carolina. We've got a huge chunk. It was in the Washington Daily News today, uh, somewhere near $20 million that's going to go into the Washington Airport and area businesses to help the businesses develop in Beaufort and Craven counties uh, so that we can bring in. It's going to be somewhere over, I think, a five-year window, about a 1,000 jobs into this area. Uh, and all of this is in the budget. It, it's awesome. Uh, there's a lot of taxpayer requirements, things that the taxpayers need. Uh, Beaufort County and Chocowinity, they need a new ambulance. Uh, they don't have the money without raising taxes on the people at Chocowinity. I was able to get that into the budget through COVID money. And most of what I'm trying to bring into Beaufort County is using the federal COVID money uh, that's already been allocated. So it's not even impacting the North Carolina budget itself. Uh, so this, this is, it's all good stuff. I'm hoping that nobody monkeys it up, uh, and tries to go put in something goofy like Medicaid expansion, something like that, which I was told they were trying to, uh, now I'm told that, nope, that's off the table and will not happen, at least not within the budget. So, well, well let uh, me, I yeah. mean, cause the governor has said all along, he's not gonna sign anything unless there's Medicaid expansion in there. And then we have been hearing rumors and seeing headlines and saying, you know, is, is Phil Berger, I know he's over on the Senate side, but, you know, it, he wants to push Medicaid expansion. And, uh, it, it has, I mean, is that 
going down that line, have there been Republicans, whether it's been Phil or other people, that have actually broached the idea of let's have Medicaid expansion? Uh, I, I mean, I know the governor wants it, but up to now, we haven't had any Republicans get behind that. But are those rumors true? Well, so, you know, I don't work in the Senate, don't work with the Senate directly. Uh, we kind of get the bills that they pass. I, I have not heard directly from anybody in either house uh, that any individual Republican is in favor, you know, not from that person. I'd like you have heard rumors that this or that one is in favor of Medicaid expansion. But uh, here, here's what I can tell you, Tom, is I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago. Uh, said, Representative, uh, you know, they're thinking about Medicaid expansion in the budget. Uh, we're going to add, and they started going through a list of, of my great bills, things, you know, reigning in the governor's power, tax cuts, tax credits for EMS workers. You know, they're going to put all this stuff in the budget. That's my bill in hopes that I'll vote for it. They said, if we put all this in, would you vote for a budget with Medicaid expansion? I said, no, I won't. Uh, you know, you can put all the cotton candy in there you want to. I'm not going to do it. I just, I don't think it's the right thing. They said, well, what would you have to have in a budget that included Medicaid expansion to get your vote on it? I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you can put one thing and one thing only in that budget and have Medicaid expansion in it, I'll vote for it. They said, okay, what's that? We'll see if we can do it. I said, Roy Cooper's resignation. <laughs> That's so, a good one. <laughs> maybe we'll get that, but they, they told me at that point, they said, well, at least we know where you stand. Right <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I wouldn't hold my no. breath on that one. <laughs> Benny's got a question for you. Hey, Keith, this is Benny. Uh, yeah, we've been talking budget, uh, heck, with you and others since at least the spring, maybe even before well, that. We, Benny, we were supposed to pass it back in May. Yeah, but um, so. is there anything, of course, you know, everyone knows or most of us know about there's deadlines for filing bills, but then all throughout the year there's things that get amended and attached and that type of thing. Is there anything that um, – that you can kind of tip us right now and say, hey, it's kind of a big surprise that nobody, no one has really talked about um, for the last six months? I, I really don't think so from what uh, what we have at this point. I mean, it, it's a very, and that's, that's well, I guess the biggest surprise that most people haven't really heard about is the tax cuts that are in it. And, and that's the interesting part is we're doing the, the great things that we're talking about doing, giving the teachers raises, giving the state employees raises, you know, funding the things that need to be funded that government should be doing, roads and, and infrastructure, uh, looking at how we can expand broadband, millions of dollars in there for broadband expansion throughout the state. Uh, and we're doing that, not only balancing the budget, but cutting taxes at the same time. And as I've told people, this is what happens when you send an accountant to Raleigh. There you go. There you go. Well, could you right. go to Washington, so. please? <laughs> I, no. I think the biggest surprise is no one reports that the governor has, uh, what, for five budgets, um, voted against, vetoed teacher raises. I mean, that's yeah. just a, that's, that's just the facts. <laughs> and of course, what's interesting is last session we had five different opportunities for the governor to sign teachers' raises, and there was you know two, three percent, five percent. And what he finally signed was the lowest number we gave him, which was a one-time $350 stipend, because that's all we could get the man to sign. Then he wants to say, we aren't giving the teachers raises. Yeah. Governor, yeah. we gave you the chance to give them raises. Yeah. You blew it. Yeah, big time. We only got a couple of minutes left, but I uh, wanted to ask you about redistricting. Benny asked you about any surprises in the budget. Are there any pleasant surprises in the redistricting for Eastern North Carolina? So, Tom, I'm going to tell you it's good you only have a couple minutes left because it won't take long. 
we we I am not on redistricting committee. Let me start with that. Okay. I've not been in the redistricting computer room. I've not spoken to anybody about redistricting. I've not seen any maps, and I don't want to. Uh, the reason is it's a very uh, concise process. I heard somebody say on the news that we weren't being transparent. Somebody, I think, out of Greenville. Well, it couldn't be more transparent. The entire redistricting committee room is in the largest committee room in the General Assembly building, and they have cameras with microphones running anytime somebody's in the room. Mm-hmm. And that is accessible on the Internet. There's no way that it could be more transparent. We don't talk about redistricting outside of that room, and I've not been in that room, so I've not talked about it. So I don't know what the surprises are. I've had people call me and say, I don't like this. I don't like that. I said, I don't care. I'm not on that committee. And I don't want to end up as a witness when the Democrats subpoena everybody to say, Bingo. Well, what did you say about this or out of redistricting? Well, you, you know, here's the biggest surprise on redistricting. The biggest surprise would be if the Democrats don't sue or one of their. Oh, come on. No, no, Tom. <laughs> we've already heard that they have four different lawsuits they're filing. And we don't even know what the maps are yet. <laughs> Hold on to your hat. Hey, Keith, thanks yeah. for joining us. we got to run. We're way behind. But uh, thank you, sir, for your explanations. And uh, Godspeed to you. Keep up the good work. By the way, uh, a lot of our folks have been praying for you and your wife, health-wise, everything back to normal yet? Thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty well. I'm as normal as I'll ever be. Uh, my wife is still in recovery mode. She's got a little bit to go yet. She's had a rough time. Uh, like I like the Speaker of the House said, uh, one of the toughest women in the state of North Carolina, he said about her on the floor yesterday. She had uh, COVID, COVID, pneumonia, heart attack, triple bypass surgery, and sepsis all in seven weeks. Wow. And survived all of them. She has one tough cookie. Wow. Well, she's put up with me for 40 years. Well, there so. you go. There you go. She has some good training. <laughs> Battle hard. <laughs> right. All right, Keith. Thanks a million. Stay with us. Benny and I will be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Good to hear from Keith Kidwell again, and uh, glad to hear his uh, wife. She's gone through it. Glad to hear she's doing okay. Um, prayers for uh, Keith and his wife continue. Um, hard to believe the governor. How, how can you be the governor and never have signed a budget? <laughs> That's just amazing to me. Yeah. And and how, you know, the news observer should be highlighting that about his last four and a half, five years. But no, it's always the Republicans' fault. Well, and I was a couple of weeks ago, I was reading some highlights of uh, the budget that's been put forth by the legislature uh, and passed by the Republicans versus his budget. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, a little uncertain of the numbers, but they had teacher raises, I want to say somewhere like four or five percent or maybe it was even three percent. And then they had him in there at 10%. And it's like, he's the big hero. But it had been 10% had you signed these other budgets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. maybe more than that. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being with us. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5. Play a little political trivia. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.